When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, College Lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 209 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse podcast. I'm your host, Ted Houston. Today we're doing a live stream because we are stupid close to 10,000 subscribers. And honestly, I'm not even sure while I'm sitting here um, talking to you all how I'm going to figure it out. I guess I'll have to probably bust it out on my phone to figure out when we crest the 10,000 subscriber mark. If we get over 10,000 subscribers during this uh, live stream here. I will give away, let's see, one of these. I mean, this is like a $60, $70 shirt here with the logo on it, Under Armour shirt. I have a white one and a green one. Green one. So whoever I pick to be the winner, if we do get above the 10,000 subscribers while I'm yammering through this, um, yeah, I'll, I'll ship that to you free. Both of them are extra larges. They run a, a smidge small. I had actually bought myself a white one and a green one, and I got extra larges because that's what I normally wear, but they were even too much for my gut to a degree. Uh, for anyone who's tuning in, I think we only got two viewers at the moment. Uh, make sure to let me know if there's any audio issues. My computer was having a couple of issues earlier in the week when I recorded Sunday show where there, there was a little bit of audio lag. So that may be annoying, but I'm just going to kind of roll with it and fly by uh, the seat of my pants here. And um, that is that is pretty much it. We're going to get into it today. We're going to talk about uh, Sunday's games. I already did an episode on Saturday's games, full recaps for those. I did not put out a show for Sunday's games because I did Saturday's games on Sunday. So we're going to talk about the Maryland game, the Cornell game, Rutgers, and Delaware upsetting Georgetown. We'll talk about all of those. We're then going to preview all of the D1 games coming up this week, and then we'll actually preview a little bit more, uh, you know, in terms of like, we'll get into the D3 schedule, the D2 schedule and things like that as well. So let us dive into it. No highlights or anything today. I'm just going to yammer, discuss. Uh, if you have questions, I already see we got people in here. Start chirping me. Anything that you want to ask about, I will pick the winner, obviously, of the shirt based on the people that, that, that actually ask questions. I'm just going to pretty much say, hey, this was the best question or the question that I enjoyed talking about the most. So that's how you're going to win the shirt. So that is it. Let's dive into it here. The very first game of the day. Not very exciting on Sunday. Now, in the first quarter here, I had taken Maryland. Um, that you couldn't bet money line on Maryland because you would have lost money if they won. Uh, the only game I was able, or the, I was able to take the spread on this. So I did take the spread. Uh, Maryland th- thinking they would cover. They did. That first quarter had me a little bit worried, and then by this point, I was like, "Oh man, I hope they don't clear the bench." And then allowed, you know, it's terrible that I was sitting here thinking about this over a stupid bet, but that's the truth. I was hoping Maryland won by, I think, what was the spread, eight and a half or something like that. So they did end up covering, but it was an absolute bloodbath, you know, two to one here. And then all Maryland through the rest of the first half, pretty much Vermont finally scored towards the end, but it was pretty much Maryland all the way through in terms of 
team stats, Maryland ruled everything. I was surprised Vermont got a lot of shots off. Vermont offensively, they've been a great offensive team, not even in the last two years. The year before the COVID year, they were even a really good a good offensive team. A lot of Canadians, just a lot of guys that know how to shoot the rock. So they did get their fair number of shots off. Maryland was far more efficient in terms of putting shots actually on cage. Uh, in terms of saves, McNaney had a great game. So all of that hurt Vermont, you know, but I mean, still Vermont took care of the ball. The The problem here is just Ver- Maryland from an offensive standpoint was too much for Vermont to handle. There was just nothing that they could do. You can kind of see here defensively, they were able to bottle up Vermont. They were able to contest all their shots. McNaney played great in cage. So that's why you see this score here. But just in terms of the offensive prowess of Maryland, you're going to see a lot of people say, well, it was against Vermont. Who cares? I care. Maryland, a lot of people said, well, we didn't get to really see how good Maryland is because they played Vermont. I think Maryland dismantling Vermont 21 to five is a pretty damn good indicator of what Maryland is. Let's see here. If I go back to the scores here for inside lacrosse and I could just give you an idea here, let's just see what, what Vermont did all season. I mean, you see, they didn't get waxed like that. They lost to Duke by a respectable margin. They lost to Utah. That's one they would have liked back. They beat Penn State. Close loss to Brown. And, you know, you look at their losses. None of them are what they saw. And then they go on this huge winning streak here and then 21-5. to I mean, I think that Virginia putting it on Vermont or Maryland putting it on Vermont the way that they did, I think that is absolutely uh, proof that Maryland is for real. It does show you how good they are. Offensively, they are just a nightmare defensively, even a team like Vermont that knows how to score goals and has proven all year they could score goals even against good teams. They had no answer for this Maryland defense and for McNaney and uh, Cage. McNaney, he is a Section 4 kid out of Corning. I say that all the time, but hey, man, I love love Section 4 kids. If we kind of look at Vermont, um, even at the faceoff dot, Tommy Burke, All-American faceoff man, he even got waxed by Weirman. So like one of Vermont's big strengths all year has been the fact that Burke more often than not wins his matchups, did not win his matchups at the faceoff dot against Weirman. Eight of 22, zero points. If we come down here and we see what Weirman did, Weirman 16 of 19 with an assist and a shot, 10 GBs. I mean, Weirman is just the real deal for this Maryland team. I've said it a bunch of times. I legitimately think that Weirman um, could have could be this team MVP because the big difference between this team this year and this team last year, I think this team's a better offensive team this year, even without Jared Bernhardt, which is crazy to say. You lose a dude like Bernhardt, a Tawarton winner, who's now gotten picked up by the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL. I mean, he was a crazy athlete. He was one of the best Dodgers the game has seen in a long time. The kicker this year, though, is... They're offensively, as a team, they're playing much better team offense. They are sharing the rock much better. Wisnowskis tearing it up for him. DeMeo's doing well. Keegan Kahn, about halfway through the season, really started to find his groove. Owen Murphy has a cannon, just an absolute cannon. I mean, you figure Daniel Maltz was like their third or fourth leading scorer last year. He's been relegated to, you know, man up and, and, and just random playing time and things of that sort. Donville didn't have a big day that day, but still, he's been good all year. So offensively, I think this Maryland team is better in terms of the way they run the offense, execute the offense, the number of people they get involved, they get that second midfield line involved. I think they're better there. But the biggest, the biggest difference between this year's team and last year's team is Luke Weirman. The dude has been incredible all season long. If we kind of go in, in here and, and just look at his bio and we look at his stats. Eight, wait, was that, is that right? Yeah, eight goals, four helpers, 
He's won 252 of 380 draws for a 66.3% uh, uh, faceoff percentage at the dot. The dude wins 66.3% of his draws on top of being able to put up points. His shooting percentage is high, especially for a faceoff guy. So even where he's getting looks, he's being efficient in that way. So for all the detractors of Maryland or the people who said, well, we didn't really get to see what they were, man, as, as uh, who was it? Uh, um, was it Herm Edwards? who said uh, they are who we thought they were. I mean, Maryland is who I thought they were, and I think we're going to see that against Virginia here. I think that – now, listen, Virginia has Maryland's number in the last couple of years in the playoffs. If anyone can beat Maryland in this tournament, it's going to be Virginia, and it is actually a really shit draw for Maryland, as good as they've been all season long, to draw Virginia here in the next round. But, alas, that, that shit kind of happens. But in the end here – just a hell of a job by Maryland, and uh, they're filthy, and that's all I have to say about that. There's not a much much more to say about this game other than Maryland can really fill it up, and they're nasty. Oh, I did want to say, what would McNaney do? Yeah, McNaney, 11 saves, just three goals against in the time he got. He played the first three quarters of the game. He did a hell of a job. Now, let me say, Ryan Cornell, he may have given up 20 goals. Ryan Cornell, those 12 saves were all well earned, like insanely. Oh, it was Danny Green. Danny Green that said that. We all we, they are who that we thought they were. Oh yeah, it was the dude. Uh, who was the coach that said? Uh, um, I'm mixing things up now here. But who was the coach that said playoffs? We're talking about playoffs. I like that guy too. But yeah, uh, Denny Green. Who who is Denny Green coaching for? Was it for the, was he playing for the coaching for the Vikings when he said that? I can't remember. So if Dan Hammer can chime in and let me know, then I'll you know I won't sound as stupid as I did. But let's move on from that one. This one, in terms of my betting for the weekend, I did well. I, I placed 13 bets. This is the first weekend, actually, that I've, I found lacrosse in DraftKings in New York. So for all you New York people who've been waiting to be able to bet on lacrosse games, for some reason, we can now bet on lacrosse games. So I was 10 of 13 in my bets. The only bets I got wrong was I obviously took, I took Georgetown, and I actually took the spread on Georgetown. I got that wrong. I took the spread for Penn, thought they would win by, you know, thought they would beat the spread. They didn't, but I did get the money line right on that one. And I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, probably just took, probably lost on Georgetown and the spread. And then I lost on the Penn um, uh, spread, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, this game scared me a little bit because, man, Ohio State coming out for zip to start this game. I mean, Cornell's done that all year. Cornell has been a slow start team. So they've kind of done that to us all year. So I wasn't like horrified. It was similar to old school Syracuse. I remember going to the Dome. See, I took my dad to the Dome actually to see his first lacrosse game at the Dome. Uh, my brother and I took him and uh, they were playing Hopkins and Cuse went down to Hopkins five zip. And I remember telling my dad, oh, don't worry. He's like, oh man, they're going to get blown out today. I was like, nah, don't worry. They'll, they'll be all right. They'll probably come back. And they did. And they came back and they won the game. It was a good game. And that's that's how Cornell's played all year. Slow start, they finished strong, and in this case, I mean, they finished strong, and they dominated the rest of the game after that four, uh, first quarter. They outscored them, what, 10, 15 to 4 over the course of the rest of the game. So that was pretty impressive. As we get into the stats, one of my bold claims was whoever had more points between Jack Myers and between... Um, Cursed here, CJ Cursed. That team was going to win the game. CJ Cursed goes for seven points on the day, and Myers goes two and one. I might have even said Piatelli. I may have even said Piatelli. Did Piatelli outscore him too? Piatelli outscored him too. So didn't matter. So that you know, Ohio State struggled quarters two through four mightily. But I mean, CJ Cursed ends up with seven goals. Piatelli four and one. Michael Long got injured and got banged up. I, did he come back? I believe he did come back. Uh, one and two. That game, 
Uh, I was kind of, I got kind of in the sauce early. So by the time the Cornell game started, because there was the rain delay and all that crap, I was already well into the sauce and did not really know all that much about what was going on here. Uh, Angelo Petrakis, 10 of 13. So he did, or 10 of 23. So he did okay. What did Nacio finish? 15 to 25. That's always going to be brutal when you're playing Inacio and Ohio State. So Cornell, they end up getting their shit together and they pull away, which was obviously a very good thing. And once again, just not not a whole lot to get into here. There there was a lot of sweet goals. I mean, I think one thing that we saw was that CJ Curse proved he is bad ace. I mean, he is going to be, he'll be a Twarton candidate, I would assume, here moving forward and, and would be right up there in consideration for a finalist, especially by his junior and senior year. Like, C.J. Kirst is absolutely legit. And then in terms of the goalie battle, Chase Erlin, he had a solid day, 13 saves against just eight goals against. And uh, Skylar Wallen, not a bad day, but like a, a definitely a rough stretch over the course of the, the second half. Let's see what Wallen did in the... Yeah, so early on, he comes up with eight saves. He has six saves over the course of that third. And that third quarter, Cornell shelled, shelled him, and then no saves in the fourth. And if we look at the box score, you see here, yeah, Cornell put up six in that third quarter, and then he had no saves in the fourth. So Ohio State really didn't have much of a chance at all. Now, before I go into the other games here, I got a boatload of questions here to um, field. So let's start with Dan Hammer. Do we need to go away from AQs? Um, uh, for conference tournaments. No, I don't think you can. I've heard people talk about that for football, or not for football, for um, uh, basketball and things of that uh, as well, because you just end up having a lot of teams that are better than your conference champions that get left out of the tournament field. But I think that you still have to have a reason to play. And I think that if you got rid of the conference championship, or the conference um, auto, you know, the auto qualifiers that you get for winning your conference tournament, I think that it just it will wreak havoc on the quality of lacrosse overall, it would end up wreaking havoc on recruiting. So I don't think there's anyone that are going, that's going to consider that. I think what they do need to do is I don't know if there's enough D one teams to warrant expanding the field. One of the things I said we could do is let's, let's add two more teams. Let's add more play in games. So your field could still be 16 teams, but your you you have a couple more play in games. Like right now we have two play in games. So what is it? 18 teams that end up making the tournament. Let's let's just start with 20 teams making the tournament and have some more play-in games, and I think that would help. And now I think some of the teams would be like, well, shit, I got in. I don't want to have to play a play-in game also. So there's going to be some detractors, especially some of the teams that typically get in you know, and end up with those lower seeds or the unseeded teams. But I feel like every year there's a couple of teams where it's just like, ugh, there are one or two that really should have been in this field. In this year, you're obviously saying it's Duke and Notre Dame that they should have been in this tournament. But the problem ended up being if you really put their record and their their quality wins against their – like forget the RPI. If you just look at who did these teams lose to versus what are their best wins, what are their worst losses, and what are their best wins, I think they kind of got it right. You know, it's just really, it's a really tough, a raw deal that the committee has. I think it's not nearly as big of a deal if two extra teams get in. I think every year, as we're sitting here and we're complaining, like Rutgers in past years has been the team that's gotten left off where they were right on the edge. I think that, you know, you're always going to have people like, oh, if 20 teams got in, well, here's two that should have that didn't. But the kicker being at least this year, the two teams that got left off that everybody thought should have been in, if we had... 20 teams with four play-in games instead of just two play-in games. Duke and Notre Dame get in. They probably win those play-in games and giddy up. Where, you know, everyone's a little bit happier. I know people are always going to find a, uh, a reason to complain, though. Um, let's see here. And, and, and uh, uh, 
GSIP. GSIP00, what's your full name, man? Because uh, you comment, you've been around forever, and you comment on everything, and I still can't figure out what your what your full name is. So so throw that throw that out to me. Uh, Denny Green said that top seeds should get first round buys. Yes, well, I don't even know if the top seeds are going to want first round buys. I feel like if you expand the field to twenty. You have the four playing games. The top seeds are still getting to play in that that technical first round with everybody else. I don't know if I'd want people to get a bye. Uh, let's see here. Oh, the Cardinals, Dan Hammer. He's saying Dan, uh, Denny Green may have been coaching for the Cardinals at the time he said that, but none of us can remember. Uh, Drew Smith, IL put three Georgetown players on first-team All-American, yet UVA's Shelley is a Twarton finalist and only a second-team All-American. Can you mention what a joke that is? Now, I think the biggest problem with the five guys that ended up being Twarton uh, finalists in the end was that one of them wasn't Matt Brandau. Matt Brandau had an absolute monster of a season. So if we go to InsideLacrosse.com, we go. I'm just going to look at scores real quick, and then I'm just going to hit Yale up because I can just check out what Brandau did. Matt Brandau was 56 and 41. Now that's I think that obviously includes last week's game as well, but I mean to leave a dude that ends, that has 90 plus points off that Twarton finalist list, I thought that was crazy. I think a lot of people were mentioning like, well, who do you leave off? Do I think that Brandau is a better lacrosse player than Schellenberger? Probably not, especially not after Schellenberger comes out and puts up 8 points in the first round. But the problem was that Brandau really should have been in there. And, I mean, Schellenberger was battling injury, did not put up the points even that he put up last year. So I think that that, you know, Andy's only a sophomore. I think a guy like Brandau probably should have gotten that nod. And I think that was one thing I didn't like. Now, in terms of Georgetown getting three All-Americans and, you know, that part of it, Georgetown was that good. I I think that I, I slept. I didn't sleep on Delaware. I mean, I knew Delaware was good. I just thought legitimately that Georgetown was going to be good enough to to wax Delaware. I thought Georgetown would win six, eight goals or so. I did not foresee it being as close as it was. And then obviously not. I didn't see Delaware beating them um, in overtime or not in overtime, but beating them by a goal. Was it overtime? We're going to see here. I wasn't paying close attention uh, to that one either. I was in the sauce. When I say I was in the sauce by the end of the night, I was in the sauce by the end of the night. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, 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 is it a joke? Maybe not a joke, but is it the best look? And did Brandau get screwed for sure? Yeah, I think so. Uh, let's see here. Let's go Lemoyne. Who do they play next? Now we do actually have this here. So who asked that? Let's go Lemoyne. Dave Sweeney. Let's go to Lemoyne. They've got mercy at one o'clock on Sunday. Lemoyne does. And then we've got Tampa and limestone also at one o'clock. What the fuck is that all about? Like, why would you schedule – like a lot of people are going to try to tune in and watch these games. There are going to be live streams for both of these games. I know Tampa live streams every game. I'm sure Mercy is going to do the same thing. Why would you play both of those games at 1 o'clock? That just seems stupid. Another reason why Division Two is the redheaded stepchild of lacrosse. I don't mean it that the quality is not there, but in terms of planning things and trying to make sure that everybody could watch both of those playoff games – on Sunday, well, that didn't work out. It didn't doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure, hey, let's stagger these games. Let's play one at two or at noon and two and you know two thirty or something. Maybe graduations play in, and I'm talking shit for no reason, but you know what are you gonna do? Uh, let's keep it keep going with the questions here, and let's get a little update on the subscriber count at this moment. What is the subscriber count for all of you people here here who are watching now? We've got twelve concurrent viewers. We are at 9,998 subscribers. We got two more subscribers, and I'm giving away a free shirt 
free dope shirt, collared shirt, Under Armour, embroidered logo on it. I got a white one and a green one, extra large. If you're not a fatty, you're going to have to try to sh shrink it. I, myself, am a fatty, so I wear it with pride. Uh, but we are getting close here. I'm going to keep my phone right here, and we'll try to see. Uh, when I, I'll try to see when I crest that 10,000 mark. That's why I'm doing the live stream here. I figured, shit, might as well drink some beers, do a live stream, talk some lacks. And, and full disclosure, I did not prep for this even a little bit outside of watching all of the games on Sunday. I haven't pre-written anything. I don't have notes. I am just shooting off hip and rambling to you all like an idiot. All right, so let is yeah, Dave Sweeney, that is the semis that uh, LeMoyne versus Mercy is playing in. I see uh, someone else answered your question. Uh, Ted, that's six of one, six of the other, right on add two more and army. Yeah. Army. That's another one. That's another tough one there. Uh, okay. Jack O'Hara. Sorry if this was talked about watching it about five minutes behind. How do you think Notre Dame feels right now after watching OSU and Harvard get smoked? I mean, they're pissed. Notre Dame didn't need to see Ohio state and Harvard get smoked to get pissed. Ohio state and Harvard could have won and Notre Dame was still going to be pissed that they didn't get in. It didn't matter how things shook out for Rutgers those years that they were the ones that got left off. The fact that they got left out sucked regardless. So, I mean, I think, I think Notre, it, it gives everybody a little bit more ammo in terms of being able to chirp from here, I think for damn sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I bet you they're pissed and I bet you that adds a little bit of fuel to the fire and everything, but I don't think those outcomes mattered that much. I think that the Notre Dame, cr you know, crowd was already pretty pissed. Delaware is America's team. Hell yes, they are. I am now going to be a Delaware fan here as we move through the rest of the tournament. Listen, I've hitched my wagon to Cornell. Anytime Syracuse lets me down, I'm, I always tell people I am a Cornell fan so long as they're not playing Syracuse. Being from upstate New York, I love going to watch games there. So I've kind of got into Cornell a little bit by going to watch Cuse at Cornell every other year when the games are up there. Uh, but then on top of it, I'm a regional guy. One of my problems with the PLL and why I haven't fallen in love with the PLL yet is because there's no region you know, no team that I can choose by region. I want someone to do the work for me. But let's say this officially. Andy Towers is one of my favorite characters in the sport of lacrosse. So for this season and maybe perpetually here, I'm hitching my PLL train to the chaos only because of Andy Towers. I don't even care who's on that roster. I just love him as a coach. I love his shtick. I love his swagger. It, it looks like the players have fun. I love his philosophy in terms of just going heavy into picking up NLL players, box players, and now you're starting to see the other PLL teams start to kind of do a little bit more of that after seeing all of the success that the uh, NLL players have had in the PLL for the chaos. So, yeah, my, my uh, wagon is being hitched to the chaos in terms of the PLL. My wagon is being hitched to Cornell in terms of this tournament. But Delaware, you know, they're the, they're the, uh, the Cinderella team, uh, so to speak. So I, am, I, would, be, I would love it to see Delaware eke this win out this weekend and get themselves to a Final Four. That would, that would be fucking incredible. Um, another blowout, not an interesting game. First half wasn't too rough, but that second half got out of hand. They outscored, Rutgers outscored Harvard 12-4 to over the second half. As we get into the individual statistics here, Ross Scott, man, he has been really good all season. He ends up with eight goals off 11 shots. He had himself a day. Mitch Bartolo, and uh, someone mentioned this, but I noticed it myself. Every time Mitch Bartolo is in a shot where the team's getting together and high-fiving after scoring a goal, that dude towers over everybody. He is like a giant from the biblical times that they speak about. Six-foot-six senior. But the dude's been a huge pickup here out of Penn, Penn transfer. 
Look what he's done. 41 goals, 16 assists, 57 points, 29.7 shooting percentage. The guy's been incredible for these guys all year long. And then in terms of the face-off battle, Jonathan Dugenio, baby, 16 to 24 on the day. So he wins the face-off battle. Rutgers wins. And then Colin Kirst, 17 saves. And a lot of people that were saying like Harvard didn't deserve to be there. Your goalie puts up 17 saves when he faces that few shots. I mean, alone, if he just has a mediocre day, this game's much closer. You know, if he doesn't have, let's say he just puts up 12 saves on the day and they end up scoring five more goals because I'm brilliant at math. Uh, or, yeah, you know, I mean, this this is a totally different ball game in terms of the ebb and the flow and the swing. So credit Connor Kirst for just going off and for, you know, pretty much locking up any, any chance or, you know, blocking up any chance Harvard had. Uh, so that was a hell of a, not, not a hell of a game. That was not a hell of a game at all. That was where it really lost me. I was watching the Cornell game and that game at the same time. Once Cornell got ahead and Rutgers had already blown up the doors off, I was, that was when things went downhill for me in terms of IPA consumption. All right. We're going to look at Delaware here shortly, but I'm going to answer some more questions before I get into that. Let's see here. There was a sympathy factor for the Ivy League this year, according to Dave Sweeney. I don't disagree. I I don't disagree. I think the bigger thing from the Ivy League missing the season before is I think the Ivy was a lot hungrier, uh, for sure. And I think that the Ivy just a fact. The reason the ACC always got four or five teams in was because the ACC won their non-conference games. And that's what the ACC didn't do a good job of this year. I mean, you, you sit here and you say... Syracuse losing to Albany could have been what kept Notre Dame out because it just drops the RPI that much worse for the for the ACC. And then you had a bunch of a bunch of situations like that. Cuse lost a boatload of non-conference games. Duke lost non-conference games. Virginia lost non-conference games. You know what I mean? And the Ivy didn't lose their non-conference games. And I think that that ends up being the big difference. Was there some sympathy? Maybe. We know these college administrators are a bunch of fucking pansies. A good chunk of them are that make the decisions. And maybe there is some you know, mental pansy thought process that goes on in their heads as they're doing this, but I don't know. Um, let's see here what else we got. Delaware Slade overrated Georgetown. If SU was in their division, they'd be in the tourney. Um, maybe. You know, you, you could say that with a lot of teams. I don't think SU would have been. I don't I don't think SU would have won the Big East. I don't think the S, SU would have won the CAA. Uh, this was a bad this was a bad Syracuse team. They were not very good. They would have been much better if it wasn't for the injuries, but they had the injuries and they did not perform well against anybody. I mean, they lose to Albany and at the time they lost to Albany, Albany wasn't playing all that great. So I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. Deserved. And yeah, I agree. Jsip double zero. Georgetown was a good team during the season and deserved to be a seeded team. They just always choke. Agreed. Agreed. I had no problems. I totally agreed with Georgetown's resume and them getting the number two seed, but it does kind of fit their bill that they lose in the first round here uh, the way they did. Uh, let's see here. Lucky man, you have Lemoyne, Union, Cornell, and RIT to root for. Again, from GSIP00. And yes, I do. And that, I mean, that's the beauty of upstate New York lacrosse, uh, or just New York lacrosse in general. I'm sure you guys on the island are happy to have Hoster and Stony Brook and all that. But in terms of D3 schools that play solid lacrosse, we are, we're loaded with them up here. Even Cortland is another one. Um, but yeah, in D2, we got Lemoyne. Who else we have D2? There's a bunch of them. Either way, yeah, Union. What a, a hell of a season Union has had here. They're, it's a senior-laden team, though. That's the beauty of D3. You're going to have your teams that are always good, your RITs, your Tufts, your Salisbury's, and, and crap like that. But but you're also going to have 
teams that every three, four, or five years, depending on how those rooting, uh, recruiting classes develop, you have teams that end up like Union that just end up with senior-laden teams that play tough lacrosse by the time these guys are all developed in big cats. Uh, the ACC, this is from Drew Smith. The ACC is hands down better than the Ivies. Six Ivy League teams is inexcusable, leaving off the number four team in the country from the NCAA tournament. Imagine this happening in any, any other sport. I agree, Drew Smith. Um, that's the brutal part, but the problem ends up coming down to the way the criteria is written. We used to, I used to be a JUCO coach. I used to coach at Broome Community College, and every year, we, there was always you. you we, we would discuss at the coaches meeting the criteria, who got pissed off about the criteria, anyone got any recommendations, no, everything's good, boom. And you literally go by that criteria verbatim. There is no moving away from it. So the idea behind the criteria you set up is that you, you end up not having to make as many like off-hip decisions. And in this case here, the way they do it with Division One, there's definitely um, – you know, people making their own decisions and their own bias coming into it. But like I said, if you really look at Notre Dame's best wins against the Ivy League team's best wins, and then you look at how badly Notre Dame's RPI ended up being dragged down by the fact that Duke, Cuse, everybody, Carolina, the ACC was down overall. Like, I mean, there, there's no question the Ivy League teams were better than the bulk of the ACC teams, I think, this year. I, it's Listen, I think this is going to be a one-off, though. I don't think this is going to be the norm. I think the ACC gets three or four teams in again next year. Um, Hilton Carroll, that is a dope name. Harvard in a few years will be dangerous. That's a team full of freshmen right now, and they held their own. And it, isn't that the truth, though? What's his nuts here um, for Harvard? Let me bring it up while they're out now. So i got to go back to the scores. Uh, let me find it. So I just don't want to be a moron and say dumb shit because Lord knows I say enough dumb shit on the internet. Why are all these games not here? Oh, there we go. There we go. This is why live streaming the way I do it is not good because I'm just rambling and looking like a moron. But um, yeah, Sam King. That's who I was trying to think of. Sam King has been incredible and just an absolute monster of a freshman. Uh, Miles Botkiss has been tough. Owen Gaffney. I wonder how many, I guess all of them are to a degree redshirt freshmen now because of COVID and all that crap. But yeah, I agree. And, and what I heard was a bunch of the Ivy League kids actually uh, in that off season, a lot of them ended up staying together. I want to say the Harvard team and there was, uh, there was some other kids. I can't remember which two teams. Maybe it was Princeton. A lot of these kids ended up getting like beach houses or renting houses together or living near each other and partied together in that off season, the year that they were all off. So that was cool. Uh, Drew Smith. I'm interested to hear your perspective on the health and future of J8 of Johns Hopkins University. Oh, man. I think it's going to be fine. I think that I'm not, I don't know if, if they've got the coaching staff. I saw John Grant Jr. step down today as their offensive coordinator, so I don't know what that does to him. But yeah, I think they're going to be okay. I, is Hopkins going to be, is, have an easy of a time returning to prominence to Syracuse? Maybe not. And I only say that simply because, you know, there's a hell of a lot more money overall at, 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 in terms of just being able to piss money to the wind uh, in sports uh, at Syracuse than there is at Hopkins. But Hopkins has incredible alumni, incredible fundraising, and a, an endowment and all this other crap. So I think they'll be okay. I think the problem with Hopkins, though, is is Maryland is stealing a bunch of their thunder. Virginia's stealing a bunch of their thunder. The U, The ACC in general is stealing a bunch of their thunder in terms of recruiting. So I think that's that's what Syracuse and Hopkins both have to do better. They have not done a great job in recruiting. I would argue Syracuse has even done a worse job. I'm going to put an episode out 
probably next week where I go through the last five years. I found a great article that I want to share with everybody and kind of read through. And it shows here's all here's the incoming class for Syracuse in each of these years. And you can see plainly why Syracuse is in this situation that they're in now. It was Desco from a recruiting standpoint just fell off and was not doing a good job at all bringing guys into Syracuse. And that's what Gate, I think, has already done better. We'll discuss this probably a little bit as we get deeper into the questions. But even with Dordovic leaving, I don't. I think people are assuming there's more problems there than there are. Definitely there was a culture problem because Gate came in, wanted to do things one way, and, and, and the team didn't respond incredibly well. Gate's a little bit, even though Gate looks chill on the sideline, from what I've heard, Gate's a little bit more of a hard ass, maybe a lot more of a hard ass than Desco. Desco... All you need to know about Desco, and I love John Desco. The guy's a legend. I, I'm, a, I'm a shithead, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway. All you need to know about Desco in terms of how he treated the kids and maybe to the point of coddling a little bit is that he didn't try to push someone into wearing number 22 because he felt like that put unnecessary pressure on that kid before you knew if that kid could handle it or not. That's That's a completely different mindset from what Gary Gates coming in with. And from what I heard, there was a little bit of, hey, this is different from what we've done all this time. Um, so is this all we're going to see? Dordovic transferring out? That sucked. I was afraid we may see a mass exodus. We're seeing Corsi leave now as well. But I think that the big deal here is we, we get Simmons in. That's a that's a huge pickup. Dordovic leaves. Simmons, 45-point scorer from Denver, comes in. Uh, super senior. And a dude who's already played for the hardest of the hard asses. So, I mean, it's not a replacement for Dordovic, but Syracuse Gate has proven, hey, we're going to lose our best player here. I, I understand Dordovic, and I think the truly probably the biggest reason Dordovic left is why he said he left. All of his buddies are gone. He'd come back as like a seventh-year student, and all of the guys he came into the program with are gone, and now he's just the lone geezer left on the roster. I hope that's what it was, but hopefully we land the poll from Army. That would be dope, too. Uh, let's see here. Uh, no, 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 The Blue Jays, what a tradition. What's up, Teddy? Go Terps. That's from Teddy Rainville. Teddy Rainville is just uh, stupid for the Terps. Let's see here. Blah, blah, blah. Terps greater than Syracuse at the moment from Teddy Rainville. Uh, I think that's it. All right. That's it. No more questions. We're going to talk about the Delaware game here now. As we look at the box score for this, Delaware come out hot. They take a three-goal lead. To start the game, Georgetown gets their shit together, and midway through the second, they've got a one-goal lead at this point. Delaware ties it up. Georgetown takes the lead before the half, but then we just watched them exchange goals, and Delaware losing 9-7 to with 4 minutes and 39 seconds left in the game. They score the last three goals of the game and win this son of a bitch in regulation. J.P. Ward with the game winner. Just crazy. And who was it that stuck the BTP, BTB? Because well, like I said again, I, I'm not, I don't fully recall what went down in that game outside of watching it on my phone because at that point we were doing some family crap and stuff like that. I didn't pick up who scored that BTB towards the end of the game. Was that Kurtz? Was that this goal that was scored BTB? Or was it this goal that was scored BTB? You guys can let me know in the comments here. But holy shit. What a game. And I had said, I was hoping that Delaware, I didn't think Delaware was going to do it, but I said it would be awesome if they did because I love watching Robinson play, Ward, Kurtz. I mean, these dudes put points up, and Delaware has been exciting to watch for the last couple of years. But you see the game here that Lenkatis had, 2-3, and three, Robinson 2-1, and one, Clay Miller 1-2, and two, J.P. Ward 2-0. Oh. So, I mean, the usual suspects were quiet, 
which is a credit to Georgetown's defense. That's why Georgetown's defense was known to be one of the best in the country. They got two All-Americans at pole with an All-American in cage, but hell of a job by these guys. And then defensively, Delaware, you just see they keep Haley quiet. They keep Morin quiet. You know, Trippy's been solid transfer from UNC. He's been solid all year. Graham Bundy Jr., that one play he had where he kind of dodged down the right down the right alley and then came back up underneath his pole and was getting beat on and backhand dive. That shit was absolutely filthy. So credit to Delaware. And then credit to uh, Kilkiri and Cage. 14 saves, nine goals against. He wins the goalie battle. Delaware wins the game. I say that all the time. You win the goalie battle, you win the game, especially where face-offs were pretty tight. Not pretty tight. He won a boatload of face-offs, 14 to 23. Oh, yeah, that's 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 yeah, that's semi-tight here. Riley, though, man, James Riley was a hell of a face-off guy. He had a great season as well. So that's it. We're going to be done talking about that. We got to do a quick check here. Quick check. How many subscribers are we up to? Are we giving shirts away yet? Oh, one, one subscriber left. I don't know if you can see it if I hold it up to the camera. Uh, let's see. 9,000... 999 subscribers. We just got to get one more, and I'm just going to keep rambling until until I get there. Going to drink beer. Let me just take a moment. Let's all take a moment, and uh, let's just enjoy the fact that right now I've got four nines in my subscriber count. We're about to get to one zero with four, or, uh, a one with four zeros after it. I'm going to take a nice chug off my beer. little moment of silence for this beer. Oh. So good. So good when it hits your lips. Oh, that lip-smacking sound has to be disgusting for all you people. Sweeney. All right, Dave Sweeney's coming in hot. Georgetown is overrated. Notre Dame would have had a better chance versus Maryland and Duke. I mean, I don't I don't disagree, but it doesn't matter. Georgetown, like we said, what they did in the regular season, they 100% deserved that uh, number uh, number two seed. You can't argue with that. So let's now talk about the matchups for this weekend. Actually, I already have them loaded up here. Let me close this navigation. I just burped in your guys' ear as well. I'm a really professional. uh, Dave Sweeney, what are you drinking? I happen to be drinking Blue Moons today is what I'm getting right now. So I've got Blue Moons in my, uh, you know, real camo or tree. What is it called? Real tree camo or whatever the hell it's called. So that's what I'm rocking. On Sunday, man, I blew up a barstool. Uh, the Crease Dive podcast had a live stream. So once the games got delayed and I was getting bored, I tuned into their live stream and I totally bogarted their chat. I was just rambling like crazy. I, if you looked at the chat, seven of the comments were mine running together in a row. At one point, I told them I was leaving. I was like, listen, guys, I got to go. I got my wife uh, to, uh, I said, I decided to skip the water and I got my wife to take me for, for to get takeout. And then I didn't stop chirping anyway. I was, my wife was driving me and the kids around. So I was still listening to the live stream as I was uh, in the car riding around with the wife. I was insufferable. Wife said I was okay. I thought I was asking her, was I annoying? And she's like, no, you weren't annoying. You were just your normal. I was my normal annoying self is all. So first game this weekend, Penn and Rutgers. Man, and like last weekend was easy. For, for those of you who weren't listening, I went uh, 10, 10 of 13 in my bets over the weekend. And uh, this weekend, there's less games. And this weekend, as I was going through, it's like, holy shit. If you didn't win, if you didn't pick all but one of those games correctly last weekend, let's say there were, how many games were there? There was eight games. Let's say if you didn't pick six of eight of those games correctly, you probably got to question your knowledge. Um, I think if you pick seven of those games correctly, like I did, 
you're pretty much brilliant. And then anybody that said they knew Delaware was going to beat Georgetown, you can eat shit. You didn't. So I would say everybody, everybody that knows their shit went between six of eight in terms of the picks or seven of eight overall with their picks. I, very few people, I think, went eight of eight with their picks. I know, like, uh, what was it? Lacrosse Analytics has a a um, a challenge, a bracket challenge, and they said there was very few perfect brackets left. So God bless those people that took Delaware and got that one right. All right. Hey, this is a good question here. Jack O'Hara. Uh, sorry, I'm going to bust away from this game because that's this is my favorite. Jack O'Hara, you are right now in the lead for the shirt with that question. People are going to have to up their game to beat you on this one. If you were to play college ball outside of the state of New York with any option available, where are you going? And uh, you know what? I would have to say, I'm not going to just say one team. Because I mean, if if nowhere, if I could just go anywhere, because I was a pimp, I was pimp shit, and I was a badass player, and I knew I could go there and get playing time, I'd be a dumb dumb to not say Virginia, Maryland, Duke. You know, you'd want to go to a big Big Ten school, ACC school, and you'd want to play somewhere where you have a chance to win a title. But I'd have to say that Jacksonville right now, the culture they're building in Jacksonville, the season they had this year, some of the dope shit that they that they showed in terms of just seeing. Seeing the guys in the locker room after some of these big games, seeing Galloway dancing around and freaking out and and that kind of crap, I I might say that I I might like to go down there and see what Jacksonville's all about. Uh, or another place that I've heard that is really hard once you if you ever go on a recruiting trip trip there, it's almost impossible not to go there. Is Tampa at the D two level? So you know Tampa, Jacksonville. I'd like to go down and play some lacrosse in the sun, but I think. I'm a competitor. I'm a dude who wants to win. And, you know, I, I haven't won a whole lot. In high school, we stunk until my senior year. We go to the sectional finals my senior year. Uh, in college, my freshman year at CUCA, five and seven or something like that we were. My year at Broome, we were like six and, you know, I don't know, like six and four or something like that. My second year of college when I played at Broome. And by the way, when I played at Broome, I was old. I had a couple of years of being ineligible in between my freshman year at CUCA and then the year I played at Broome. Uh, so that year I played Juco lacrosse at Broom. I was a sophomore eligibility wise, but I was 21 years old and a big boy by that time. So I put up four in 10 games. I put up 49 goals and uh, 20 assists. And I had a 10 goal, uh, a 10 point, a 10 goal game with 12 points in that game. So I had a 10 goal game, but 12 points. I had a eight goal game. 10 points. I had a seven goal game, nine points. I had a six goal game, 10 points. So I was just filling it up against the bad teams. And then I, I, I went at least two and one in every game we played that year. But that was like playing club ball. Like we, the teams that we beat, we beat some teams badly. And then we got waxed by some teams as well. I don't even know why I'm talking about myself now. Uh, let's see here. Rutgers will blow their doors out. Mate. Okay. So let's get it back into this. Dave Sweeney talking crap saying Rutgers is going to blow Penn's doors off. Let's see what they did against like opponents here. If we look at Penn, uh, Georgetown, Duke, you know, I just don't see Rutgers blowing their doors off, man. I mean, they lost to Princeton handily. They ended up losing to Maryland handily. You know, I think this is going to be a dogfight all the way down here. Yes, Rutgers ends up, or Penn ends up losing to a, you know, a couple of Ivy League teams and Georgetown to boot, but I think this is going to be a ball game. I forget what I took on my bet. I wouldn't even be able to tell you here now, but I believe I picked Rutgers on my bets. I'll have to do a follow-up on Thursday to tell you what I what how I actually did in terms of betting on them. In this game, though, man, Sam Handley has been a beast lately. If we look at what Handley kind of did, I mean, Handley's been good all year. You look at he kind of not the biggest games here to start, 
but you kind of look down here what he's done since. I mean, five points, five points, Oop, two and three. That's a little slow, but he's finished the season off three and four against Brown, three and two against Yale, three and one against Richmond in that, in, uh, you know, so, I mean, it's like, man, Sam Handley has been filling it up for these guys. God bless his father for getting his ass to the hospital with that ruptured spleen. So he didn't die because that would have been absolutely terrible. Um, I like Rutgers. I do. I like what Russ, I, I like offensively what Rutgers has done. And I really like defensively what Rutgers is made of. The, I think the X factor in this game, I think it ends up coming down to uh, Colin Kirst for real. Cause if we kind of look at the goalie situation, Birkinshaw has been good all season for these guys. And I mean, really, if you look at Birkinshaw save percentage, it's actually higher than Kirst's, but I think that Kirst has a higher ceiling. We see Kirst with 17 saves last week or, or just this weekend against Harvard. So it's like, I think the X factor is Colin Kirst. And I think that I say it like I, it's stupid and I should just about make a t-shirt, but you, you win the goalie battle. Your chance of winning the game is really high. And I like Colin Kirst's chances of winning the goalie battle in this game a little bit more than Birkinshaw. But, man, credit to Birkinshaw for transferring out of Virginia, finding a place to live, and then having a really good season here this year as well. And then in terms of the faceoff dot, Zuzi had a monster game. What was I, I believe I remember saying something about Zuzi's game being, being tough. 17 to 25, 68% at the faceoff dot against Richmond. So, you know. Uh, that 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 will be interesting to watch as well. Dugenio, solid faceoff guy, not probably quite as solid as Zuzi. Does seem that he wins a little bit more of his own now. Nah, he's just one, taking a lot more draws actually in the end than uh, than Jamie Zuzi has. So that will be important. Obviously, anytime where you have teams that are matched up pretty tight, faceoffs and goalies matter a great deal. But when you kind of live off the box scores the way that I do. Because, you know, you watch the game, but you look at that box score, and it just tells a different story than what you saw during the game, especially because I drink a lot of beer while I'm watching lacrosse. So a lot of times, you know, by the second or third quarter, things start getting lost in translation for me. Um, you end up realizing how much, how important goalies and faceoff guys are. You know, all for the crowd that's saying ban the faceoff, the, the argument is that you really do see that that one dude can turn the table so much, and it's not a dude that's scoring goals or playing defense. It's just a dude that's getting his team the ball. But, man, that's part of the game. I love the face-off game. I love it even more when teams get absolutely roached at the face-off dot but then still win games. So I think in this game that's what it's going to come down to. Who's going to have the better day from the face-off perspective and where that may get lopsided one way which goalie is going to step up because I think both of these defenses are capable. I think I like Rutgers defense a little bit more, uh, but you know, in terms of goalies, both teams have serviceable goalies. Both teams play solid team defense. Both teams can score the rock. So I think that who, you know, the winner is going to be the team that has the goalie that has the better day. Cause I think it is going to be a, a close game here. All right, let's get a quick check. How many subscribers we got fools? 10,000. We are at 10,000, so before the end of the show, I will pick a winner here for the T-shirt. Let me just say that right now it is Jack O'Hara in the lead. That question about if you were able to play college ball outside of the state of New York with any option available, where are you going? And uh, that so far is the winner. I'm not going to lie. So start pinging me with some really solid questions or you are your, your chance of uh, winning that shirt is effed in the A. And, and for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, it's that green Under Armour shirt I always wear. It's not that one. This one's a clean one, never been worn before. Still even got the tags on it, but it's the one that you see me wear in the show, and I have a white one as well, so you can pick your color. All right, Ted Rainville, he's saying, here is the best question. Who got his brother to subscribe to get 10000 The answer is I did. 
Thank you, Ted Rainville, for helping me get to 10,000. And, and you know what the funny thing is about this? My daughter said to me, like, not even a week ago, like, hey, hey Dad, you're so close. Why don't you just, you know, s- subscribe yourself or hit up a couple of people you know? One of the things I did with this channel that probably most of you don't know is when I first started doing the podcast, I was ashamed that I was doing the podcast and I didn't want anyone to know. So I built my entire following without ever hitting up anybody that I knew. I never like said, Hey, check my podcast out. And that, that, that might not be completely true. Once I got it going, I probably chirped some people here and there, but I've never, I've never promoted my podcast on my own personal Facebook page. I started all my own separate social media accounts for it. I've never hit up family, nothing like that. I probably do have a couple of YouTube accounts for different companies that early on, I probably did subscribe simply to try to get to that thousand subscriber threshold so I could get monetized, but I've never taken advantage of my own network of people that I know. Most of the guys that I I either coached or played lacrosse with or just know from the area, they've all only just found out I've been doing this over the last year or so because I've legitimately just kind of tried to build this without anyone, you know, without trying to lean on anybody else or anything else. So that's a good one, though. That's a good one, Dave. Uh, Let's see here. Show. Voils, man, yours got your uh, Tampa would be awesome to play. I don't know why this is, uh, Dave, but your comment actually got like I had to open it. It was like making it sound like you might have cussed or something in it. Tampa would be awesome to play lax. I don't remember whose dad it was. There's a player that plays for Tampa who was telling me that they were looking at a couple of schools and he ended up going down to Tampa and they just said, you go to Tampa, you go to that pool where they purposely take the recruits to the pool where you got all these ladies laying around in bikinis and crap all year round and that that pretty much seals it for a lot of guys. But I've heard it is just a, a beautiful uh, campus and Tampa is just a dope place to be anyway. All right. So Penn Rutgers, I am not making my predictions today because I'm going to do that on Thursday after I look into everything a little bit more. And like I said, I have not prepped for this at all. I'm literally just putting a mic in front of my face and rambling on and on and on what for now about already 50 minutes. So I think, I think I like Rutgers a little bit more overall, but Penn is a little bit more battle tested. If you look at the, you compare their schedules, I think Penn's played a slightly tougher schedule than Rutgers. It's just both and both teams have a lot of veteran leadership, but I still like Rutgers a little bit because I think cursed is the X factor in that one. All right, let's get out of this one. Now let us look at, why am I just bringing up all this crap? Okay, Princeton, Yale. Another one. This is like a coin flip too here. I mean, what did Princeton and Yale do in the regular season? I think Princeton beat Yale, right? Uh, Where is it? Oh, no, Princeton lost to Yale 14 to 12 in the regular season. Okay. So, I mean, with that one, a team's already beat another team. I would typically end up saying, hey, Yale, I'd probably pick Yale. I think on this one, I think I've already taken Princeton uh, in terms of my bet. But I do like Princeton. I would like to see Princeton win. Princeton's biggest problem is going to be Eric Peters was one of the toughest goalies in the country to start this season out. You kind of go through here and you see his save percentages here. 60, 67. The dude started every game out 56 or above. He had a rough game against Penn, but I think that was a game they won. Yep, he had a rough outing against Penn, but they won. And let's see here. And then another rough outing against Yale. That's the game they lost. And then you see these last three here, these last two regular season games, 37% against Harvard, 40% against Cornell. And I had said if if they were going to be able to beat Boston U, Eric Peters was going to have to be above 50%. I'd said in the preview show on Thursday, if Peters is 50% or better, they'll beat Boston U by a few goals, and if Peters is above 
60% was the number I gave that they would probably beat them by a greater margin than they beat them in the regular season, which I think Princeton beat Boston U 12-7 in the regular season. And that ended up being true. Uh, yeah, here. Yep. Then he was 67% in that game. So I think that's what it's going to come down to. Is Eric Peters going to be 65% or above? If he is, I think Princeton wins. If Eric Peters is not 65% or above, I think Yale ends up winning this game. Yale's a, a hell of a lacrosse team, man. It, what they've done offensively has been pretty crazy. And Paquette, as a freshman, has not been that bad in cage. 52% overall. And he had, a believe, a good outing here against St. Joe's, 50%. So, I mean, he's not he hasn't had the season Peters has had. Peters has been crazy, and Peters' save percentage has been dragged down since the second half of the season a little bit. But, you know, I think that's going to be huge. And then Tyler Sandoval. Sandoval, I believe, had himself a game as well. 15 of 18 from the faceoff dot, 83% uh, this weekend here. So he's going to be an X factor as well. Not that Yale does a terrible job at the faceoff dot. They don't, but Sandoval, man, another X factor. So I think I'm going to, I think by Thursday, I'm going to probably go with Princeton here, but I think it's another, another coin flip, man. I think it, it's a really tough one to call. Cornell, Delaware, this is where I get hosed. Because like I said, I've already hitched my wagon to Cornell because that's my second team, you know, and as long as they're not playing Syracuse, Cornell's my team. But I would also like to see Delaware make a run at this. I'm going to pick Cornell in this game, though. I don't I, I think Delaware, they probably peaked. We're gonna see. Let's see who Delaware's best wins are against this season here. St. Joe's, they beat St. Joe's. That's a good win. They played Duke respectfully. I watched that game. That lost to Michigan. I bet you they wish they could have that back. They beat Hopkins. I remember that as well. You know, not, but then they beat Georgetown, man. I mean, that's really all you need. They waxed Robert Morris in the play-in game. And I, I actually believe I might've picked Robert Morris in that, or did I call that one a coin flip? I can't even remember. But I mean, when you look at Cornell's uh, um, record here, I mean, you look at their wins, Lehigh, that's a solid team. They beat Ohio State earlier in the year. They beat Yale. You know, uh, let's see, they beat Harvard, they beat Cuse, that's a yawn. They lose to Army, that was a rough one. They lost to Brown. Like, I mean, you just look at how Cornell's kind of limped in the, into the playoffs, and Delaware has won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight. So that plays, but I think I'm going with Cornell. I'd like to see Delaware win. I'd like to see them make a run. I think Cornell's more equipped to win the title. I think Cornell has a better chance to beat Maryland than Delaware does, so I would like to see Cornell win that game. Maryland and Virginia is going to be absolutely fucking bonkers. That is the Sunday game at 2.30. That's going to be a solid game to watch. Now, I think it's crap that these two teams are playing at this point of the tournament, especially considering their rankings and all that crap. Uh, but if anybody in this tournament is going to have a chance to beat Maryland, I think Virginia is it. And then for all the betters out there, if you're betting on games, there is absolutely no reason to bet on Maryland. If you bet on Maryland, every dollar you put on Maryland, you're going to get 16 cents back. So I put money on Virginia. I don't, I don't bet a lot. I think I put 10 bucks on Virginia, and if I win, I think I win like 59 bucks or some crap like that. So, I mean, if you're a betting man, just take Virginia. It's a no-brainer. You're going to win some loot. If if they win, you're going to actually win something. But I don't know, man. I This isn't one of those games where I would I even feel comfortable picking Maryland as the winner. I think that even though Maryland put it on Virginia in the regular season, we look at it, we all know, 23-12, to 12, it was ugly. I think if you go through everything – Maryland, you know, from a from an offensive perspective, I think Maryland and Virginia match up very well. I think if Virginia has a good day offensively, they can score with Maryland. I think where Maryland is a little bit better, not even a little bit better, I think McNaney is a lot better 
the noons, but noons on it can have a good day. Noons can get hot and play tough. And sometimes freshman goalies are just dumb enough to not know they're, you know, they're supposed to get beat out by the opposing guy. So I do like McNaney, Edge Maryland there. Faceoff dot. Weirman has had a hell of a season, but I got to go with Petey fucking LaSala. You know that's who I'm going with. But once again, that's a wash. These Both of these guys are incredible. So even if Weirman wins a few more draws than LaSala, LaSala, he's capable of putting up some points, as is Weirman. And then I think I think that in the end, defensively, is where Maryland has the true edge. I think they have a true edge in cage. I think they have a true edge, slight edge defensively, because I think their defensive midfield depth is better than Virginia's. So I think in the end, Maryland's obviously the favorite. I mean, that's... You're stupid if you don't believe that, but I think if anybody in this tournament has a chance to beat them that's left right now, I think it's Virginia. I think the, and, and especially because Virginia gets streaky. We know Virginia's streaky, streaky because we've seen them through the season have games where they play insane, where let's see here, they beat, uh, you know, they beat Notre Dame, great game, but then they turn around and lose to Richmond. I mean, that's the definition of streaky right there. Then they lose to Duke. You know, who knows? But I hope, I hope to God that I'm rooting for Virginia to beat Maryland. And this is not any knock against Maryland, Ted Rainville, the second, I am sorry. It's not a knock against you. It's just, I, I watch a boatload of Virginia lacrosse. I watch a boatload of Maryland lacrosse, but I, you know, ACC, you know, if, if I had to pick between the two teams while I like them both, I'm going to end up picking Virginia. Uh, the rules don't allow you enough polls. That's true. So, that's that. Let's see. Let's see how many subscribers we are over 10,000 because the, the problem with this is going to be by the end of this show, I'm at 10,000 on the dot. I'm going to lose like a subscriber or two tomorrow and I'm going to go back below uh, 10,000 again for a couple of days. So we'll probably have to do another episode to get me back over 10,000 again. But uh, that that's probably enough. Uh, Voiles, I love Schellenberger. So I want to see him make some magic happen. I love Schellenberger because I think he truly is by the end. Like, I think he's probably the best all around player in the country. It's just, he's young. He was injured and banged up this year, but just to see what he did in the last tournament and to see him start this tournament that way on the road as the underdog, or even though I think it was stupid to call them the underdog, he kind of was, but that's what I'm thinking. User experience, user experience says Virginia attack can handle their matchups for sure. And that's, that's what I'm saying. As good as, as good as Maryland's defense is, what other teams have three attackmen and three mids that can hang with that Maryland defense all across the board. Like what team can put six guys on the field that are as good as Maryland's top six guys on offense. And I think Virginia is the only team that can say that. I even think defensively, what team can put three poles on the field that are the least outmatched by the three starting poles that Maryland puts on the field. I think Virginia is one of those teams. Georgetown was the team before that, but they, you know, and even though those polls played well offensively, Georgetown couldn't put it together, whereas I think Virginia will. So I think that's a big deal. All right. So what are we going to do here? We have to give a t shirt out before I quit here. I've already been rambling now for 58 minutes. So, oh man, Ted Rainville. And it's right now, I'm going to be honest, it's between Ted Rainville. And who was the other guy? It was O'Hara, right? Um, all right, we're going to do this. Oh, I can't decide. This is tough. This is tough. All right, let's see here. If anybody is still even tuned in and paying attention, why don't you guys help me out? Do you think that Rainville getting my 10,000th 10, subscriber because he told his brother to subscribe deserves the shirt? Or do we think that O'Hara's question that I was impressed with 
deserves the shirt here. Let's get into the D2 and the D3 schedules real quick. Maybe you guys can chirp in. Help me make the decision, but I'm going to try to decide as we go here. I tell you what, I would end up giving you both one, but that's like 100 bucks worth of crap. And even though I love people, it's not worth 100 bucks worth of shirts here uh, for that. Uh, well, I was planning on selling them both, but I'm going to at least give one out. Games this weekend, D3, RIT against Bowden. Have these two faced each other yet? I don't want to spill my beer. Nope. Does not look like they have faced each other yet. Oh, man. I think RIT is probably going to win. Who'd Bowden beat to get here? Um, Bowden ended up having to beat St. Lawrence, and St. Lawrence was a tough team, too. I like R RIT in this. I don't, I'm not even going to try to make predictions overall. I don't know enough about D3 this season to, to know. Christopher Newport, man, CNU coming out of nowhere. They've been solid for a bunch of years now, but for them to have the success they've had this year, that was pretty sweet. They take on York. Union is the Cinderella team, I think, here this year. Um, they've just had a hell of a season here in upstate New York, 16 and two, their only losses coming to RIT and to St. Lawrence, but they've got a win over Tufts. They, I watched that game. They beat Tufts 17, 12 on the road. That was a big one. They beat St. Lawrence. You know, they, they've played some really tough lacrosse. They ended up beating RPI, Ithaca. So yeah, Union, that's a great story here. And then you look at these these attack, the three attack, Peter Burns, 77 points, Faye and McCann, 60 and 59 respectively. That's why they're tearing it up and why they're 16 and two right now. So a hell of a job there. And then we got Salisbury. That's going to be a hell of a game here, man. The three o'clock game on this day, Salisbury and Tufts. And notice the D3. Granted, they play two games at a time here. 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 and 3. But notice their games are staggered because they're not morons like the Division II schedule makers here. So, Salisbury and Tufts, that's probably going to be the game of the weekend. Although, I had said the first round of the D3 tournament is a shit show and you end up having a bunch of blowouts. You end up seeing some incredible games in the conference tourney side of things for D3, especially as you get to the semis and the finals. But this is going to be a great round of lacrosse right here and the final four for D3 is going to be an absolute like dogfight, especially this season. I think this is a this is one of those years where, granted, you have your couple of favorites here. I think RIT, Christopher Newport, and Salisbury are right up there in terms of the favorites, and you got Tufts, always tough. But like I think this is one of those years where it's like it, any of these teams are probably capable of winning a title, depending on the day, which I don't think is always the case at the D3 level. And then D2, this is all we got left. Tampa at Limestone, or Limestone at Tampa, and Lemoyne at Mercy. All of them are playing here. All right, let's see. Don't hate Drew. Keep rooting for the hop. Yeah, but plenty of other teams have a bunch of transfers and ninth-year grad students. All right, we're going with Dan Voiles. You help me decide. The thought-provoking question should get the price, and I'm going to end up giving the shirt to O'Hara. Teddy, though, uh, I'll hit you up with a free T-shirt, so just hit me with uh, – so uh, O'Hara – if you're still listening, and I if, listen, Teddy Rainville, because he's here to the end, if you're still here and you hear this, and O'Hara never follows up with me, the shirt's yours, I'll send Rainville a t-shirt. If O'Hara does follow up, if O'Hara doesn't follow up Rainville, you'll get to pick the color and you'll get the shirt. So Rainville, hit me up on like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I just need an address and a size of a t-shirt. The t-shirts that I have here on hand are just uh, the regular, you know, the, uh, what are they? The, the Gildan, like the classic Gildan tee. So the, the size is very normal. So whatever your normal t-shirt size is, send me that size, that shirt will fit you. And then uh, O'Hara, same thing. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. And uh, I just need an address and the size doesn't matter. The size is XL. So you don't get to pick a size for these things, but pick the color. So O'Hara, pick the color, green or white, 
and uh, and get me your address, and I'll ship that off to you too. But guys, let's see where we ended this show at. We ended the show at ten thousand even. So, like I said, I will probably dip. I will probably dip down below that here a couple of times. But hey, it's it's the first time I've gotten to see five see five digits on my sus- subscriber count, and most of you guys that are here right now are guys that have been following me for at least two years or so. So, as I always say, and I get a little sappy, I I can't thank you all enough for actually even listening to me. It still blows my mind um, that anyone is willing to listen to me ramble about lacrosse like you guys have been. And I feel like I've been off my game this year. Uh, This year, I ended up having heart problems at the beginning of the season um, due to either COVID or the booster or whatever. So that kind of put me down for about two months of the season. Started at the beginning of January and it led into March. I was still having some serious issues, so that screwed me up. And then just being tired and playing catch-up work-wise, I feel like I've been less prepared for every episode. I haven't done nearly the job I think I have in previous seasons of doing a good job of really dissecting the games. I think I've kind of flown by the seat of my pants a great deal this season. So which makes me all the more thankful, though, that people have been able to you know, continue to tune in despite the fact I feel like I have not done a great job this season. So, But the goal being I'm back to healthy, back from vacation, caught up with work, and uh, I will do a killer job here between this Thursday show where we really go into the games in depth in terms of previewing everything. I will murk it on Sunday show. And I might even try to bump Sunday show to Monday so I can do the whole thing. We'll see how that goes. And just my schedule. I, I always tell you guys, hey, I'll be, I'll be back on Thursday. And I don't come back. So I always appreciate that you guys don't give me a ton of shit for just breaking my schedule and not showing up. And, you know, you guys at least always tune in on Sunday. I've been trying to make sure I'm always here on Sunday morning for everybody. So, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to me. Ramble about the sport of lacrosse. We're going to do a boatload of PLL crap here coming up this season. So I am going to cover the PLL. I'm going to become a chaos fan. I'm going to buy a jersey and a hat and try to do the whole thing this year. I actually have maybe a co-host to talk about PLL lacrosse and a couple of other guests locally here that I'm going to have come on. So I'm actually going to try to get into this offseason doing more two-man shows and I'm going to try to do some more interviews here this season. The guy that we got to get on and everyone needs to harass for me is, um, uh, um, what am I talking about? I just totally lost my train of thought here. Eh, you can tell I've been rambling for an hour and I've, been, I've had too many beers here. So that is it. I'm going to get the hell out of here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for helping me get to 10,000 subscribers. And as I always say, hoost is out. Thank <laughs> you.